0: Welcome to episode 558 of Troubadours and Tours, with yours truly E.W. Conundrum Demure. On this week's episode we feature a wonderful conversation with regular contributor British Indo-American poet and visual artist speaking with us from her home in Sacramento, California, Roni Popla. And we talk with Roni about her flight in from Oregon with a drum, the space between contentment and desire, the political landscape and poetry, wisdom and perception, being a pioneer in thought, pushing yourself physically, ecstasy, looking at a glint of light on someone's glasses her mother's ashes and the Golden Gate Bridge with her friend Jose. Fathers, giving yourself to another. Art that we do not like but others admire. Cultural imperialism, fashion, and some studs on her leggings and how they affected a metal detector, among other things. A wonderful conversation with Roni Bopla this go-round. We also have an EW poetic piece titled East Valley, and of course, all of this will be infused, imbued with the wonderful energy of several great tunes. It is so nice to be with you. Let's get to it then. Episode 558 of Troubadours and Rock-On Tours. Is that you?
1: It is me, E.W. Conundrum Demure. Is it you?
0: <laughs> it is. It is me. How's it going?
1: I always want to say Demure because you are so much more. <laughs> <laughs> oh,
0: you don't know how much that helps me. I, I, I come to you today melancholy, so be prepared. Oh.
1: I, I welcome it thank you
0: me. <laughs> so those nice words really help I appreciate it how are you doing
1: I'm doing well I uh, I just came in on a flight so I'm I'm ready to do something exciting this morning besides trying to travel with a drum so I I'm doing pretty well i I uh, I had a, a flight in from Oregon where I go every January to meet some writing friends and i this time thought to take my drum and it wasn't so bad going there but coming back i wouldn't say bad but i would say it wasn't challenging because the flight was relatively um it wasn't crowded but on the way back we uh we had a lot of people on the flight and the um people in charge said well try to put the drum in the overhead compartment well, they didn't say drum because they didn't know it was a drum. And they said, push, push. And I said, I, I can't push as much as you think I that you want me to because it's <laughs> a drum. And they said, oh, it's a drum. So they gave it a, its own seat. And there was actually a, an empty seat for the drum. So <laughs>
0: You didn't have to pay extra for that seat.
1: No, thankfully not. Um, and I was very grateful. It's amazing how people are when you're in a in a tight spot they they sympathize with you even though they might not relate to the situation they they sympathize with you and they really care and it's a small thing but it also showed me that while i think traveling has become so uh it's 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 a tenuous situation even thinking about just trying to pack for a flight and and to come across people who just give you a little leeway is, is beautiful. So I appreciated
0: that. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Very nice. And I, I, I should mention for those of you who have not heard, uh, my regular conversations throughout each year, uh, Roni is a regular contributor. She is, uh, coming to us from her place in Sacramento, California. She's a British Indo-American poet and visual artist, among other things. And uh, it's always a pleasure talking with you. And I know, I mean, you gave me a great list of of areas that we might go. I mean, things that uh, resonated with me, actually. Uh, uh, the first thing, disclosure, and I love what you, how you explain that, the space between contentment and desire. Hmm. Is it an oscillation between the two that we exist as thinking humans? Wow.
2: Hmm.
0: What brought that to mind?
1: Well, I think that since you and I are involved with so much information dispelling, so to speak, we're artists, we're writers, we're producers of um, content that involve real people, and sometimes we find... I find that my art doesn't necessarily. Um, there's a space between my art making and who I am, and I I would like to be that one person who someone meets, and they said, "Yeah, I've been I've been listening to your your interviews with EW, and you are exactly the same person that you are on the radio or on the show, and that is where i thought of disclosure because when we when we big when we become sort of in other people's consciousness or their their lives we take on different forms and i i really am just someone who's struggling just like everyone else in this world and trying to make peace with what's out in the general consensus, if you will, or the normative spaces. Yeah. And um, disclosure has a lot of meaning for me too, because when I do work and I want to, I mean, technically speaking, when I, when I write a book review or when I'm trying to publish, I do make sure that whoever is working with me knows that I know some people in, in this sort of big sea of artistry and, then, um, for that technical aspect, disclosure is important. So, um, it's it's a it's an I think it's an important part of what they nowadays call transparency. Uh-huh. Just adds a level of ethics to what we do. So that's sort of where I was coming from. But oscillation between those two spaces, desire, is so much a part of our. Are being um, I had a, the opportunity to sit in a lecture recently and um, the man said you're not you're not desiring that object or that person you are you are in love with the desire itself yes so it helps it helps center. Me at least, it makes me understand where my emotions are taking me, why I'm feeling a certain way. Those are the kind of things that I was thinking about. What do you think?
0: Well, you hit a lot of things there for me. You know, um, it's it's a it's a very complicated, multifaceted journey as a human creature. You know, Mm. and the more I I see into that reality, or I guess reality. The 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 more confused I get about myself and and this whole experience. I you know it, that's where that's where I am with what you're saying. And I've been having this conversation with several guests over the last uh, couple of months, especially the regular contributors, where I feel more comfortable because we have a relationship. You know, I was just talking with Almighty Todd a couple of weeks ago, a regular contributor, and, and we were getting into this too, you know. I mean, what? who are we? What drives us? Why are we trying to accomplish the things we're trying to accomplish? And are we so different than everybody else around us, even when we feel we're disconnected? Uh, it's, yeah, I don't know if that gives you any insight as to where i'm where i am with what you you just shared but that that's the best i have for you at this moment
1: yeah it's um it's it's a complex part of our human beingness i suppose you know we are thinking human beings and sometimes it's okay to let go of that you know um I, I was reading a book that I had mentioned in one of our first interviews, actually our very first interviews, because it was published in 2018. So I'm <clears throat> I'm revisiting in the context of, dare I say, the political landscape. I'm going back to the books that were published in those times when we had particular people who were leading the country. And this book is by Fatima Askar. Mm-hmm. One of the lines that jumped out to me in one of her poems on page 51 is um all the people i could be are dangerous <laughs> <laughs> so it, how much control do we have and, and the confusion that you're 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 sharing with me i feel confused too um but one of the things i shared also last time is i'm working with kids and yeah. I love it when they get to the point where they're talking, talking, talking with certainty and then all of a sudden they push it so far that they get confused and then I'm like, there it is, there you are. You are at the cusp of discovery, curiosity, wonder. So confusion, unless you are facing some real tangible reason for the confusion, I think is a good space to be because then you you might be inclined to be open to something that's a little bit more um bigger than what we see and feel.
0: Yes. As long as you don't get consumed by the confusion, you know. That's the that's the 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 trick or not the trick, that's the concern. Because you, you could you get lost in it for years. Yeah. Uh, you know, um it could manifest itself into depression or or, you know, nihilism, uh, fatalism, all the uh, deep cynicism. And, and that, that's what I'm struggling with. I don't want to go there, but <laughs> it's easy to go there. You know, it really is. And, and you know, realizing how, and you kind of, that, that line that you, you, um, you shared, all the people I could be are dangerous. It's true. Mm. It's, it's really true. And how strong are you? is a good question, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm,
1: mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, and it, it's it, we talked about wisdom, um, the wisdom that we have that others don't because it's a level of perception and perspective. Right. And that, I mean, the fact that you and I can say this could happen, you know, the nihilism, the cynicism, and uh, those, those areas are opportunities where you, you can navigate new territory. You're basically a pioneer in thought if you push against those, those circles of thought. You, know, you can pioneer out of it. It's like creating new pathways in the brain.
0: For yourself, right? You might not be a pioneer uh, compared to other people who already experienced something quite similar, but for your experience, it is pioneering.
1: Yes, yes, and if that's important. I mean, you, you only live in yourself. You only live in your own mind, um, and so as much as we try to connect with others, our our whole being exists within our within our eyes, within our ears, taste, touch, smell, all of the senses, and so being intentional about about that process is is a nice way to kind of push ourselves just a little just a little
0: yeah push ourselves toward what or away from what or is it not that at all is that a total misunderstanding of it
1: well there are two things that can happen one is there are different levels, I would say, for myself. I, I exist as a material object. So um, when I push myself physically or even emotionally, there are benefits and costs to that. Time is an, it, it is a concept, but I also was told that time is my body. You know? and then when we push ourselves physically then there's that very real outcome that we can see but thought is that intangible and we can extend time to its to infinity and i think the abstract concepts of love and care and Um, ecstasy, all of those kinds of intangible but very important descriptions that we have for feeling, those are areas where we can see in our imaginations where to go. Um, You and I are together for, uh, let's say, 25 minutes, 30 minutes, but that sometimes feels like six months because I relive that experience until I talk to you again. And my mode of thinking when I talk to you because of the quality of conversations we have are, are unlimited and it, it assists me in my perception of who I am. And I know that that is something that can't be characterized on a material level. Um, One might say the natural world is where we can coexist with the intangible and we can find ourselves in a limitless place. But I think that that is an idea that has been taught to us and it's sort of canonized in a way. And so one has to find something where... One's mind is centered on, and it has nothing to do with anything any anyone else can see. Um, I could look at a glint of light on someone's spectacles and be transformed while they're speaking. So, um,
0: I totally get that.
1: Mm, mm.
0: I do. Thank you for sort of uh, communicating an experience that I, I am familiar with. I think I understand what you're talking about, but go ahead. I just wanted to chime in. That was wonderful.
1: Good. I'm glad that we're on some sort of similar wavelength, as they say in America.
0: <laughs> I think we are. Yeah, for sure.
1: Yes. Yeah.
0: Yeah. You know, I, I don't know. We didn't have this on the list of things to talk about, but it dawned on me that since the last time we had spoken, you were going to be doing something pretty significant uh, Mm. at the Bay of San Francisco
1: Mm. okay yeah yeah that's right how'd that go September 24 I think it was I want to say it went beautifully my friend um, Jose Alcantara came from Colorado he's a poet also and uh, he and I decided that we were going to do this as a team sort of And I, I, I know I was procrastinating because we were supposed to be in Sausalito with my mom's ashes and I was doing everything and anything to, excuse me, delay. And it got to the point where we were on the freeway and I, he offered to call the, the person who was going to run the boat where I was going to spread my mom's ashes by, by uh, the golden gate. And so it was remarkable how it ended up. And uh, it was a beautiful experience. We didn't have the whole two hours, but that was my, my doing. <laughs> <laughs> there was one point where, and I, I've talked to him about this later is I think I talked to him or it was someone else that, <clears throat> excuse me. I, I was holding my mom's ashes, but I had to use the restroom. And so he and the the captain were waiting outside the restroom and he was holding my mom's ashes. So it's kind of a, it, it develops into an interesting story when you go through these phases of how you say goodbye to someone. And it was a quite beautiful. Um, he had picked out some flowers from the front of my yard and, I sprinkled those over the water and then we had a wonderful lunch and then we went to a poetry reading in Berkeley. And then that was a a beautiful day that I spent with a friend and I ever so grateful to him and all of the people who kind of assisted me as I've gone through these different phases of grief. Um, So that, that went really well. And I appreciate you. Asking about that, you and I have shared so much in terms of loss, and we we should revisit that topic each time we talk. I think it's very special.
0: Yeah, I mean, for those who weren't uh, around, excuse me around for our, the conversation we're referencing, my father had passed uh, last year, uh, and and we were I was sharing that with you and. And that we were sort of connecting uh, through the that that sort of grief of losing a parent, uh, yeah. I'm still dealing with it to the closure. I don't know. Do you f- do you feel closure to a certain extent if that's even possible with <clears throat> sort of thing?
1: You know, I don't think I'll ever have closure. Um, I mean, just speaking of tangible and intangible, the the ashes came in a very nice box in a plastic bag. And um, I wasn't prepared to open the bag. So Jose had a, a knife and he cut it. And when I emptied the bag, it was almost like I was pouring a dust of gold in the, I mean, you know, y- your mind is just like going hundred miles an hour. But then there were some ashes left in the bag, and you know when something's in a plastic bag and you just want to shake it out. Yeah, I was like, "No, I'm, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to do that." So I just put the bag back into the box, and it's right here next to me in my office. It feels like it's still here. Mm. So I have decided. I had decided at that moment to. I, I planted a tree in front of my house after my mom had passed, and so I will. I will somehow get those last pieces of the ash into the soil where my mom used to garden. So, it's not a thing that I can say is it it, it that that whole thing that I just described exemplifies how how it will never go away because there's always going to be a remnant of saying goodbye that lives within my body. And it's not so much memory. It's more so the rituals that I undertake to say goodbye and those keep getting planted over and over again. So I don't know how you feel about that. I mean, how are you feeling about closure with your father it's
0: been one year now more yeah, right? yeah yeah it was a year in December, <clears throat> excuse me uh i that's a i I don't even there's not there's not closure for sure, um and I think my relationship probably wasn't as good with my father as I think from what I've gathered talking with you, as good as yours was with your mother. Mm-hmm. um so and my father he got sick in a way where he lost his faculties and and he slowly it happened so you weren't really sure how to process it and then before you knew it there weren't enough faculties there though he was there uh for for you to connect uh and and so you know i really so many things that I would have liked to have heard from him and I would have liked to have said to him that it just won't ever happen. Um, you know, when we had a tumultuous relationship when I was younger, uh, that we, we never tied loose ends, you know, never really said, I understand or hope you understand or I'm sorry or whatever. So those things I have to just deal with, you know, uh, on my own now. So that's the way I see it, and it's tough, to be honest with you, because yeah. it's a sense of yourself. Your parent, if you you know, raised by them, right? You have a connection with them. You look up to them. They, they really are the context of your sense of reality in many ways, right? Your reference and all that. And if you have um, uh, turbulence, you have disconnect. Uh, you have, um, I don't know, grievances. It, it it keeps you unsettled.
1: Yes, 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 yes.
0: As a as an individual. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So that's where I am with it. I think, and I'm, I'm you know, I'm trying to work through it.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: I'm sure I'm not alone in that. I'm sure this is an old story.
1: But it's a unique story for your your heart and mind. I know.
0: Yeah, we all have yeah. to deal with our own right. You can tell somebody about all this stuff, but it you know it's not going to make it in that much easier at least they won't feel alone but it's not going to make it that much easier for them to do with their thing mm-hmm. but thanks for asking
1: yeah no yeah I really care about you and i want to know where you are in your journey of saying goodbye and also that sort of it, it becomes a one-way street like you say there's an unsettling and i i have I can relate to with my own father who mm-hmm. died after my mom did and we we had a really bad argument the last time I saw him and years had passed and I kept that inside of me and then he died um and so and I, and that I found out that he died horribly because he was a a smoker you know and um, it's I have no words you know really I mean it's uh, we can only hold each other and be present for one another and so so when, when I hold you that means that I'm taking some of your unsettled energy into my body and then I can walk away with it
0: does that become an extra burden for you though
1: No, because when I do that for you or with you, I am not in you as a... I I don't feel what you you feel. Um, When you hold on to each other, that means that there's a tension in the body that is a remnant of that emotional unsettling. And you can feel... And I know when I hold you, I can feel your shoulders drop because I know that you've let go of something. You know, you can tell. So that is an important thing to allow for yourself. That's a kindness for yourself to allow that to happen when people hold you that you just give in entirely.
0: Yeah, that's well, well said. That really is, for me, I get that. You know, it's hard to do. It's hard to to uh, let your guard down like that. At least for me, um, give yourself uh, to someone who is willing to take uh, a, a, a something. You know, th- to help you carry yeah. something. Yeah, that. And I guess it's about trust to a certain extent, right?
1: It is about trust, but it's it's a very fleeting moment when someone holds you. And what they do with that energy and what they do is none of your business. Um, What I would do was I, I hold you. And then when we part, I hold that as if I'm holding a ball and I smooth it out like a piece of clay. I create something and then I put it to the side and I might pick it up tomorrow and I might, mold it into another shape and I might paint it and then I might give it to someone else as a gift that is recreated from a very passionate and loving energy that you have incorporated in your body that creates sort of this sort of disjunction the way you present it or with the way you perceive it but what I take from you I create something out of it, and it's gone.
0: I love it. That's beautiful, Ronnie. That's beautiful. Well, you know, you give me a nice opportunity to segue into something you did want to uh, talk about a bit. I'm reading it from the email you sent me, Art That We Do Not Like But Others Admire. (laughs)
1: Yeah, I, I didn't know what to say about that because <clears throat> I think the, the very clear thing for me is when when someone loves a piece of art that reminds me of colonialism, and I'm very, very sensitive, um, and I I, for example, poetry. Poetry has a long tradition throughout time, and poetry in English specifically has a very strong link to particular parts of the world. So I'm British by birth, and of course I'm writing in English, and I struggle with art that is beautiful, but it comes from a space and time that I abhor. So I, I try to respect the aesthetics of people who are admiring poems say for example the sonnet the sonnet is an example um and it it has very little space for south asians you don't think of a sonnet and you don't think of south asians as myself however i'm i write in english i've I have a lot a long history with Britain and I I struggle with that a lot because I write and I I don't necessarily push back against the colonial story but that is a through line for me um, it's always important for me to look at the culpability of myself and whoever i'm bringing into my poems so that culpability the big chunk culpability is the colonialism three to four hundred years total um that the british had um raj over india and so i feel like when i'm creating what does this say about where i am but also what am i doing with that inherited story and, um, and it's you, hard. Yeah, so go ahead.
0: No, I was going to ask you, do you feel by writing in English and, and being influenced by the context of uh, the imperialism that, mm-hmm. you know, cultural imperialism, among other types, uh, that comes along with colon- colonialism, that you are propagating that culture and that country that uh, infringed on the your, your ancestors' culture? culture in india
1: that's the crux that's the crux of the, the question and the the i i have thankfully um the skills i i can speak Punjabi, and i can make comparisons to language alone between how i use language and how those two juxtapose and so the the experience of my art hopefully shows that I I'm in that turmoil and I don't think that I'm alone. Um, People who uh, write in English who come from different parts of the world, they're, they're going through the same thing and I'm, I'm older so they can see how I've progressed in terms of my development as a product of that era. And That gives me satisfaction um, because their struggles are new to them. Mine are not so much. And then we can have this conversation. Well, you know, your parents or your, um, you know, you have been influenced by this culture, which is beautiful. However, there is a part of it that one has to be aware of. And what do you do with that? It's sort of like that, that ball of clay. You mold it into something that is perceived as um, commentary or beautiful that is that says something that leaves something in the world that you you can say well you know this person had lived during this time period and had parents who came from that that partition and this is what came out of that and ultimately I would say practically that would be your artist statement right, right. If write your artist statement then that would be a key moment in in that piece of literature
0: yeah and it's an uh, i guess it's an unescapable uh uh, sort of way that humanity has um i don't know if the word evolved or has continued how how how, you know how it has happened people Mm -hmm. through all kinds of acts that uh are not just, that are brutal, uh, uh, occur, but nonetheless, there is a melding. There is a, an intersper- interspersed sort of um, experience uh, uh, among all of the people involved, and, and then you, you go from there. You know, I, I watch a program on PBS often called Finding Your Roots, and um, oftentimes there'll be a person of, of a mixed race who will be there, and and they do this really detailed uh, research on on their ancestors. And often you find that you know their ancestors uh, there were people that were forced to be together um, and then procreate, uh, and and now here sits a descendant of that. Uh, that that experience, that that behavior, and this descendant has got to grapple with it, you know, because mm-hmm. both part, all of the parties involved are who they are. Mm-hmm. The, yeah, you know, it's and that's. I mean, I, I'm sure I have it in me too. I just don't know about it, uh, but I I don't, you know, that that's that to me is is daunting, and and it it really ta- it speaks to who our species is.
1: Mm -hmm. yeah that's a very complex um area and i think that in some thought uh, with regards to ancestors from different parts of the world there is an argument that race is it doesn't exist
0: right i i I totally agree with that yeah but it does in the way we look at the world
1: Yeah, and the way we look at the world, exactly, and you can't, you can't, I mean, I can't say to someone that it doesn't exist when their whole life depends on whether or not they're black or white. Exactly. Yeah, and we know those, those types of um, things,
0: and... Well, white privilege, right? I mean, it's, you can't say that that does not exist. It does indeed exist here. It does, yeah. So you know you could say race doesn't matter I don't see color well you know what (laughs) society does
1: yeah and even I mean I'm I'm fairly fair skinned so in India I have great privilege even now and we come from a very very deep um, caste system that has been ingrained and so that that also exists um you know, what privileges do I get just because I'm fair-skinned um,
0: so yeah well, you know, I'm looking at how much time we have we have about mm, five six minutes and I, I'm looking at the list a uh, very comprehensive list of, of uh, ideas that you were thrown out out there for us to maybe address I, I'll I mean I'll give you I don't know if you have the list in front of you, the opportunity to pick whatever uh, one or ones you'd like to close our discussion with. And also, I mean, I want to, I don't know, I know a lot of times you're not into social media as of late, but yeah. if, if, if anybody wanted to connect with what you're doing as an artist, could they, is there a place they can, they could go?
1: Well, I do use LinkedIn. Um, and you might remember, I, I, um, uh, I started a new job. So that was the reason for me to be there. And I do post some of my work there. So um, that's a great way to find me. So
0: LinkedIn, just type in R-H-O-N-Y and then B-H-O-P-L-A.
1: Yes, yes. And I'd love to connect with anyone who's interested. And I always enjoy finding out that they found me because of your show. That's always a joy.
0: Yeah. yeah, that'd be very nice to 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 hear if if that happens let me know. Uh so I'm looking at this list. We have fashion, meditation, truth seeking, measures of time. Any of this stuff jumping out to you that you want to grab on to?
1: I really like talking about fashion. Let's um, do it. Fashion, I think. What are you wearing?
0: Me? Yeah. I'm I'm wearing uh sweatpants and uh a Vermont Law School sweatshirt. And uh, what we call a cupolin, a skull cap, because it's a little chilly and snowy here.
1: Love it.
0: And some slippers, moccasins.
1: Nice, nice. Um, and you know, are you thinking of comfort or are you thinking of color when you when you wear something? Do you do you care about color?
0: I do. I like I like uh, to coordinate. I like things to complement. Um, Sometimes I like things to to contrast and and be a little bit crazy too with with the colors. It depends on my mood.
1: Oh, that's lovely. I love that you're connecting it to your mood because I I I think fashion on the day-to-day basis, I think the everyday person fashion is a word that we don't use often when we pick out our wardrobe. And I like I just I get this from my mom because my mom was a seamstress, and I think I've mentioned in the past mm-hmm. that she, she would never exit her room without getting dressed. And so I am doing all of that too. And I it doesn't have to be name brand items. It can be you know what you're wearing, sweatpants and the top that you described and the cap you you described. And to be able to say I exist in this outfit and these are the colors and these are the fabrics and these this is the texture and this is how I am going to clothe myself this is a cloak of some sort and it when people look at you that's what they see and 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 I think that considering fashion and art form is is kind of fun Mm. it's fun and I like that I like and I like inspiring others to think about what they wear is a significant decision in their day and uh I, you know, that's that's sort of the thought I had when I
0: wrote that word down. I agree with you uh, when you say what you wear is a significant sort of decision uh, for that day. I, uh, yeah, it, it, because it does. It, it is the art of you, it, mm-hmm. right? I mean, you you are going out into the world and and by choosing what you chose to put on, you're saying, this is where, where I am. This is who I am. This is what I'm feeling. And you can add to the mix of what everybody else is wearing and doing and feeling.
1: Right. Yesterday when I was traveling, I wore my tunic. My, it's called a salar kameez. It's an Indian outfit. And I wore black leggings with studs on them. Little did I know I was going to be stopped at the metal detector on the <laughs>
2: the
0: studs
1: yeah <laughs> the studs on my leggings and so i was frisked and uh i i didn't feel as bad as i did the very first time i was frisked way back when all of this mess started and uh so i insist on wearing things but i don't necessarily plan well in advance in terms of getting through metal detectors at <laughs> <and> airports <laughs>
0: Yeah, you shouldn't have to, but.
1: <laughs> yeah, and that's that's the other thing is I, I'm just just always in awe of the fact that how things have changed since I came to this country by air. I just, it, it just still is amazing to me. We My mom took a, a chance, middle of the night, brought me and my brother to the airport for a standby ticket. We got onto Pan Am and we just flew here. With a couple of suitcases,
0: 19,
1: it was nineteen seventy nine. Yeah, and we came to San Francisco Airport, and that was it. Easy. Easy. So yeah, but those are um, things to write about, things to reflect, and also to to share with our youth to let them know that it wasn't always this difficult, you know, and perhaps that might happen in the future that we can go back to those times when not everyone is a threat to you, you know? So
0: that's a, that's a, I think that's a good place for us to, to, uh, pause our conversation till next time. Roni Bopla. Um, I mean, is there a thought you'd like to, to share to close out our, our discussion this time with the listeners?
1: I would like to say to everyone how much I love you and care about you, even though I I probably will never meet you. And I really genuinely want the best for you today. And I want the best for you and your future. And I want to say to you, EW, that I love you so much, brother. Love you.
0: I love you too, sister. And, and you were speaking to the listeners, how much you love them as well. That was the first love uh, uh, you were sharing. And then the second one so beautifully to me and, and, uh, you're uplifting you're you're a wonderful person and I, i love the way you are living your life as i understand it in these brief conversations it's inspiring so uh you know please keep keep doing what you're doing and uh i look forward to our next conversation
1: i look forward to it too i hope you have a wonderful day
0: you too sister take care take care potato chips and dogfish head 60 minute ale to wash them back hand rolled tobacco and cannabis cigarette raw in the pure winter air cold with clouds and moisture snowfall is approaching from the northwest you can see it in the sky and taste it with the smoke and beer, my hat, scarf, long coat, gloves, and short beard work well together, standing with the trees in the beautiful, invigorating breeze. Episode 558 of Troubadours and Tours with yours truly, E.W. Conundrum Demure. I'd like to thank those folks who made this episode possible. First and foremost, our good friend, Roni Bopla, and these musical artists, The Lonious Monk, Quadrine, heartless bastards, Ella Thompson, Brentford Marsalis and Terence Blanchard too. And of course I would like to thank you for listening. Until next time, let's give it a go and do our best with this time. Take care of yourself.